Wow, here we are again. Way too much to cover and way too little time to do it. So I'm jumping right in, both feet first, into this episode with Liam White from ButcherBox. He is the international man of mystery. Real quick story here on how this episode came together. Shortly after Athens Twilight, I reached out to Dino Piscopanis from ButcherBox and I said to him, listen, I need to have another one of the guys from ButcherBox on the show. Paige Kostanecki's episode was so well received that I wanted to find another person to be on the show. And without a moment's hesitation, Dino goes, you want Liam White? And I was like, great, set it up. Hit me with the email. And then Liam and I scheduled the interview and I get there to the interview with him and I go, who are you? I can find nothing out about you on the interwebs, on road results, on anything. Who are you? Please tell me who Liam White is. I know you got third at Athens, but beyond that, who are you? And so that's what this whole episode is about. He is an Australian, international for us here in the United States, a man of mystery. And so you get to enjoy an hour worth of him and I trying to figure out who each other are and having a wonderful conversation while we do it. In the end, I am a huge Liam White fan, and I hope that you will be too. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com, the internet, the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling media. We've got some great shows like Nowhere Fast, The Grodio, Cyclocross Radio, The Slow Ride Podcast. We've got Bodie doing his work over at Hot Lap Summer on YouTube. There's a lot of stuff for you to peruse and enjoy on this network. We would love it if you would become a subscriber to the network and help financially support this content creator-owned effort. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Source Endurance. Source-e.net is your home for the best in endurance cycling coaching. You know that I am a Source Endurance athlete. You know Dante Young is a Source Endurance athlete. You know Whitney Allison source endurance athlete, you know that there are a ton of great source endurance athletes who are out there doing their best work in the Peloton. If you want to become one of us and realize your potential, go to source-e.net, use the promo code Criterium Nation, all one word for $50 off your first month with source endurance. That again is source-e.net. Because Liam and I were originally going to talk about, and by I mean originally when he and I first started discussing coming on the show, we were going to talk about Rochester. We were going to do a great race recap of Rochester, and we were hoping that he was going to be a part of it. Well, he got injured, so he wasn't going to be a part of Rochester, but so we can talk about it. And then within a lap of Rochester's men's race starting, the entire race got canceled because of lightning, thunder, and it, that looked epic just seriously epic the pictures are amazing we've got one of them on the podcast instagram account at criterium nation so we didn't do the fastest two minutes in criterium racing with liam we just talked about everything else the in the world of the man of mystery himself so i am going to do a quick recap here for everybody on four count them four races this is going to be a Herculean effort on my part to get this done within two minutes. So we're going to go through Plainfield. We're going to do Joe Martin, just the crit. Unfortunately, we can't do the whole full stage race. We're going to do the women's race at Rochester, and we're also going to do the tour of Somerville because I was at Plainfield. I was at Somerville. I got to watch Rochester, and I got to watch Joe Martin. So I actually know what happened. So... So let's start with Rochester. Rochester is a great little course. It kind of weaves its way back and forth across the Genesee River and has like almost two like lollipop or dumbbell ends to it. The women's race started fast, kept going fast. It was one of those races where the breakaway wanted to get away multiple times, but just couldn't. For some odd reason, there was inertia that wouldn't break the field apart. About halfway through the race, four women got up and started that final effort that would eventually push them up the road, a fifth woman from Skyline would join them. But even then, it was so tenuous, they just couldn't do it. And then 
the combined effort of the teams that remained behind of the riders who were in the breakaway and the effort of the women who were in the breakaway snapped that inertia and got that breakaway solidly established top three in that race mariana valadez from la sweat danny morris had his teammate ends up winning i know who got third andrea sear from butcher box the second place rider for some odd reason on the results her name is blurred out i don't know why it's just weird my computer screwed up next up we go to joe martin stage race the joe martin stage race criterion the visit criterion is super fun that climb up church street is iconic and it would be iconic in both the men's and the women's races on the women's side we did have some politics coming into it because there was a gc on the line the women from ef tipco kept the race together until the very end when the women of legion came to the front to play the sprint game because the gc was all wrapped up at that point in time now the sprinters and the crit teams can come out to play it was a epic battle between maggie coles of dn and Skylar Schneider up the Church Street climb that just played out so beautifully, so remarkably. In the end, Maggie Coles-Lister from DNA takes the win over Skylar Schneider at the very last possible second, and then Shayna Powell's coming in third from Legion. The men's race played out a little bit differently. The men from Wild Drive Generation did keep the race very controlled over a hard-charging Tyler Stites during the course of that, who was trying to get some extra time in the GC battle against No grand again and johnny the man himself from wildlife generation but in the end a breakaway got up the road with two men from legion tyler williams and alec cohen alec did a great job of leading tyler out but in the end it was Brian Gomez, again, with a surprising win over Tyler Williams at the very last second. I mean, the picture by Snowy Mountain is epic. Tyler is leaning on Brian Gomez's shoulder slash hip slash everything. It was all about it. Hugo Scala Jr. from Project Echelon comes in third to round out the podium there. We move on next to the tour of Plainfield in Plainfield, New Jersey. This was part of the weekend of racing up there with Somerville. Somerville and Plainfield are very similar races, similar race courses in the fact that they're both relatively flat. They both have three good corners and then one kind of sweeping corner that leads you into the finishing straight. Both of the races played out in similar fashions, but with one major difference. At Somerville, the breakaway nailed it. The breakaway was able to get up the road and stick it for a 50 plus mile effort that would get almost caught there at the very end. At Plainfield, however, the breakaway was never able to really get itself established. And that speed of the combined group just kept the whole thing together on the men's side. In the end, on the men's side, Sam Rosenholtz from ButcherBox takes first place. Jonathan Ogando from Emmanuel Iberi, second bike, comes in second. And the man with the best hair in the field, Clever Martinez from Miami Blazers, comes in third. On the women's side, it was a field sprint all the way beginning to end again mariana valdez from la sweat comes in first followed this time by antoinetta yeah oh god i tim hayes the heck out of that last name i'll just say from cwa racing and alexi ramirez in third place again from cwa racing going over closing out all these tabs on my computer so that i can get you the results from Somerville, Somerville on the women's side, huge field sprint with Katia Martinez from CWA Racing having a great weekend. They were Debbie Milne from Team Super Bars coming in second place. And again, I don't know why my computer is doing this, but the third place rider's name is blurred out. Ugh. I'm going to have to really get that fixed. On the men's side, the 50-mile-plus breakaway of the guys who just put it all out there. In the end, only coming in 39 seconds behind a hard-charging Danny Estevez on the field, the men... George Jackson with the most premier mustache in all of crit racing right now from the New Zealand Cycling Project comes in first. Alfredo Rodriguez from Best Buddies in second place. And Scott McGill, fresh off his duties as the GC teammate of Teammates for Wildlife Generation, comes in in third place. So we've got Liam White. We got him for the hour, and we're going to talk to him right now.
So my name is Liam White. I am 27 years old. I am from Ballarat, Victoria uh, in Australia, and I'm racing for ButcherBox Cycling powered by Look. Not being from the United States, obviously, we've got to go into a little bit of a geography corner. You are not the first Australian to be on the show, but you are definitely the first Australian to be on the show who's from Melbourne. So can you tell us where in Australia Victoria is and where in Victoria Melbourne, which is the biggest town near Ballarat? Yeah. Uh, so Melbourne is down in the southern states. So the um, it is not the most southern point in, in Australia. Uh, Tasmania is, but um, Melbourne is the most southern uh, or capital of the most southern state on the mainland. Um, and Ballarat is one hour uh, west of Melbourne. Tell us about bike racing in Victoria in Southern Australia. Before we start talking about what you're doing here with Butcher Box in the United States, we need to know where you came from and what it's like there. We've had a couple of Australians who have been on the show, like I said, and they've kind of led on to the fact that Criterium Racing is not a US specific thing, that there definitely are some crits in Australia. What was it like growing up as a bike racer for you in Victoria? Yeah, so I was introduced to the sport um, in the in a schools program. Um, we were lucky enough that in Ballarat we have a track, and basically um, there was an opportunity to do uh, after school sport, um, do track cycling. Um, track cycling um, in Australia is very strong and is quite a big part of junior development. That's how I got introduced to it. However, that wasn't the sole purpose of why I actually picked it up. It was more to do with um, getting a day off school because I, as a junior and or as a, as a young kid, I played a lot of different sports. I played basketball, tennis, swim. I'd swam, did futsal for a little bit, um, played Australian rules football. Like I did like a lot of sports that I was basically outside all the time. Um, anything that I could get my hands on. Um, this was another way to get another day off school is by riding a bike. And basically, we went and did this schools competition. I was lucky enough to have a couple of friends that came along. My friend beat me, but we we both essentially broke away together. And yeah, before we knew it, we were at the state championships um, for this schools competition. Um, and then it kind of kept on just snowballing from there. Um and look, definitely wouldn't change it for a fact. Um, but but from a from a general point of view, um, clubs within Australia are very track focused as a junior, and then but now it's becoming more and more Criterium racing. Track's still strong, but Criterium has definitely got more of an appeal to it as as it does here. Do you in Australia? Do you have the same like category system or masters racing and? You know, how does it break down as far as like progressing up the chain from a, you know, a newbie to, you know, somebody who's at the top level like you are now? So we have, um, so obviously you have your junior, your junior ranks. So we have like your under 11s, under 13s, 15s, 17s, 19s. Um, and then obviously your youth 23s and then your elite. Um, however, once you get to like essentially under 19s, you're racing open or you're racing graded stuff. So men, B grade, C grade, D grade, whatever, how many categories they have, depending on where you go to um, in the country. Um, and then once you get to A grade, obviously that's a stepping stone to going on and doing picking events wherever you may choose across the country. So then, but we also have our national road series as well, um, which um, is relatively strong in the sense um, that. We yeah, there'll be like the national road series teams, and we probably have maybe on a on a prior to COVID because it's changed changed a bit due to COVID. Uh, we probably had like eight to ten rounds a year, um, a mixture of one day races and tours. Um, so the tours will generally go for uh, like four days, maybe like kind of like a similar sort of length to Joe Martin. Um, we generally don't have a lot of TTs. Um, and if we do, it's all like kind of like Merck style TTs in the sense that it's all road bike, like it's only road bike only, uh, but majority is road racing. Um, there might be a couple of criteriums here and there, but that's basically our system. 
interesting. So like when you show up, like let's say that there is a there is a crit in Melbourne, you know, like you show up at like 10 in the morning and then it goes, you know, A, B, C, like races during the course of the day or is it like women, juniors, men, open? I mean, how would it break down there? Yeah, so generally um, we, in, especially in Melbourne, uh, and I'm, I'll use um, Glenvale, which is one of our um, premier, I suppose, uh, racing uh, scenes for the week. That's on a Sunday morning. Um, generally, you'll have like you'll have like a and a and C grade on the course at the same time, and then they'll run at like ten thirty or something like that, and then um, at say like 9am you'll have B and D grade and then prior to that you'll have um, E grade and juniors before that so it's it's a lot different in the sense that like the the, the crowds aren't as big on a on a weekly basis if that makes sense um, it's a lot more it's, oh, it's it's club level like it's they're not your um, they're not like individually scheduled races it's to kind of fit in as many races as you can in a small period of time to get maximum participation and some of the clubs like now there's a, um, a lot we've seen a massive increase in female participants which has been great for the for the especially the melbourne scene so now they've got a lot of um they've got like a grade and b grade women and but then at glenvale for example um you'll have some of the women racing the b grade like the open b grade so it depends on what club you go to where and how they've scheduled it um and how they've actually organized their event depending on and that's that, that, that's how it gets around. But it's um it's a pretty strong scene in the moment, especially during this during summer in Melbourne. You can probably race five days a week. That's insane. I I don't think you could. I don't know. There's probably not a lot of places around here that you can do five days of racing in in a given week. I mean, we all have those wonderful training rides that uh, start out as just a bunch of friends hanging out. And then the next thing you know, there's one town line sprint after the next, after the next, after the next, and it becomes a total slaughter fest. Yeah. Is that, is that what it was? It's like in Victoria? That's, that's definitely, it is definitely that aspect to, I suppose, some sort of training groups. Um, I know in, a, in Ballarat where I, obviously where I'm from, there is a lot of, there's a few groups that do that, but there's not a, like, there's not like, organized training races per se um it's more so just kind of yeah you, you wait till your club races of a week of a weekend or of like like our club has a race on a wednesday night so that kind of gets it out of everyone's system um midweek <laughs> and then um yeah so that's always nice as well Okay, so this is the last Australian, specifically Australian-based question before we start talking about things. And I, I want to use it as a bridge because I want to talk about Boston, where you are now, versus where you were in in Victoria. You know, one of the things that predominates the United States East Coast, so Boston all the way down to here in Washington, D.C. And, and further south, are deer. We have so many white-tailed deer on the East Coast of the United States. And like the first 5,000 times that you see a white-tailed deer, you're like, oh, cool, it's a deer. And then the next thing you know, you're like, you're dodging them while you're you're riding your bike because they come running across the road and their hooves aren't exactly designed for pavement. So <laughs> the question I've got is, do you see more deer in the United States where you are now, or did you see more kangaroos where you were in Victoria? We see a lot of kangaroos, but I'm I was I'm in a rural town, and when I say rural, I mean it's 120,000 people. But when you leave town and you go out into the bush, you have kangaroos to contend with. I live on a farm, about 320 acres, so we we actually don't see a lot of kangaroos where we are. But if you were to go five mile up the road towards bushland which is where they predominantly are, you'll have a higher uh, chance of coming into contact with them. But look, I haven't seen a lot of deer here yet. So I've seen probably maybe 10. Um, but I've also, I've only been here in Boston real, realistically for five days. Oh, wow. Okay. You've been in the United States for like a month, but you've only been in Boston now for five days. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so tell us about the culture shock of being an Aussie in Boston. Because, like, I I love Boston. I've spent a lot of time there. I've worked there. It has a unique 
personality and vibe as far as an American city is concerned? Because you've been, you've been to Athens now, you've been to Spartanburg, you've been to uh, a certain number of of the southern states in the United States with Butcher Box, but just you know, like Boston is a is a is a a beast apart from what you've been doing. Yeah, and I definitely immersed myself right in the middle of it um, at a Boston Celtics game last night. So, oh my gosh! Okay, go on, please. Yeah, so that was in, that was more or less incredible. I have grown up following the Boston Celtics, uh, so to see them in Game Four of an NBA playoffs. And to make sure that it was a blowout um, in the sense that they end up winning pretty easy in the end. Um, It was an experience that I definitely ticked off my bucket list. um, And I actually would like to go, if I could afford it, I would like to go to game game six on Friday night. But but also, we've got a race on the weekend. So, that's not going to be achievable. But yeah, look, as I said, that was... I think the sporting culture, I know that I it was next level. Like people were chanting out the front, people were chanting in the stadium, people were telling, like everyone was just getting up, like really up and about, real rowdy about um, how well the Celtics were playing last night. So as I said, it was a that was an experience. Um, I've noticed here that um, everyone's really courteous um, on the roads. Uh, people have got, I feel like they've got a, lot, a little bit more time they're a lot more embracing of cyclists. Not not saying that Australia is not, but you like we'll in Ballarat we're we're quite lucky in a sense. Um, but here it's I feel like I'm a lot safer on the road, um, and the roads out here are amazing as well. Like yeah, everywhere you turn, you're like wow, this is really this is really beautiful and really nice. I'm gonna ask you that question again in like a month and a half to see if your answer changes at all. I mean. Massachusetts drivers have a reputation, but if you're having fun there, then by God, good on you. Because at, driving around Boston, like Boston proper, as opposed to like maybe a little bit further out of the city, like I get so lost so quickly. The roads are not designed for like any sort of intuitive, you know, pathfinding. It's just like, I think the possibly apocryphal story is that it's just old cow paths that they decided to pave over at one point in time so they don't go straight. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Like, like I was doing, I was doing a few efforts today on the road, and I was kind of like riding around the same circle, and I was like, I feel completely lost, even though I was did this road like fifteen minutes ago, because it's so windy, you just completely get disorientated. And um, Stephen um, took me out this morning and. And he said, oh, do you know where you are? And I'm like, come on. Like, you may as well spin me around in a circle and I'll be, I'll be lost. Like, that's what it's like out here. But it's as I said, it's also lovely when you have when you build a route beforehand and you can kind of see where you're going and then, and then all you got to do is follow your Garmin. <laughs> this trip to the United States is not your first time coming to the U.S. to to race any sort of crits or anything. You've got some experience before and because of your experience before, you know, you obviously made some contacts, which is what got you here again. So tell us about that first, you know, those first couple of trips back in like 2016, 2017, when you came to the United States and, you know, really went hard after the Midwest crit scene. Yeah. So 2016, we started with, uh, a race in in North Star GP in Minneapolis. Um, now that was at the time I I was coached by a person called Bob Kelly. Um, now he his wife uh, Helen had done a fair bit of the American crit racing scene prior to that, um, so she knew that she knew what North Star was about. Uh, and we basically made contact with the race organizer saying, is there any composite teams? They put their feelers out. Myself and my brother, Nick, we were able to, yeah, I suppose get on to a team from Chicago based uh, called Triple X, the, the club. Um, and then they they were lucky. They were happy for us to kind of just be in, be in their kind of camp for the week. Um, we made a lot of good friends um, through there. Um, many which I'm going to be catching up with when I go that way. When I go back that way, look, it was it was a crazy few first few weeks um, here, kind of as a getting your uh, getting your grounding, 
then getting into quite hard racing because that was at the time where they had like you United Healthcare and and they had a lot of the big American teams um, turning up to these races, which was as a person coming in with more or less no support, it was quite daunting to an extent, um, but had an absolute ball at the same time. I love it when I just randomly pick a, you know, a, a, a race that you did and you did particularly well at. And this was uh, the the uh, Minneapolis criterium that was part of North Star. You finished 13th in that particular time, but, you know, Tobin Ortenblad finishes eighth in the exact same race. And then you go up above it, Mike, uh, Brian Gomez, who won Fayetteville this weekend, finishes in fifth place. You know, Alfredo Rodriguez, another name that we know from Best Buddies, finishes second. Oh, and the winner is Justin Williams. So, I mean, even at a young, a tender age in 2016, when you were racing this, you were up there against the best and you were already proving yourself to be a pretty darn good racer. Did any of these names mean anything to you back then, or were they just other dudes who were in the race? Literally, other dudes that were in the race. Are like, like none of these guys. Like, and it sounds kind of a little bit like, I think I think it's just, it just shows my naivety about coming over here and and how I suppose pieced together it was in a sense that I had no idea what I was going into. I was literally going in so blind. Um, and I just wanted to race my bike and that was, and I'd heard that the, the, uh, the U S scene was really accommodating. Um, we were able to kind of piece things together in the sense that we're able to get host housing accommodation here, host housing accommodation there, be linked in with a team here. There was so many, um, factors that were just enabled us to actually be able to do this. Whoever I was racing against really was not really a a kind of a thing that I looked at. I knew there was a couple of Australian teams coming over, um, and I knew who they were, and I was like, "Oh, if they can do relatively well, well, hopefully I can do well as well." Yeah, it was it was really going in as blind as like so blind. <laughs> was the your first introduction to U.S. crit racing? Because that's pretty much what you did. I mean, you did North Star, and then you did Toad. And then you did Intelligentsia, which is just like, that's, that's a lot of crit racing right there. Was your introduction to crit racing in 2016, 2017, you know, was it a shock to you? Was it different than what you had come from in Australia? Yeah. In Australia, we do a lot of closed circuits in the sense that they're usually not in a downtown kind of atmosphere. Um, that means you don't have to contend with like manhole covers, bad pavement, pavement lips. Um, generally, yeah, they're pretty well pre-made services. Um, so it'll be just smooth. Like it can be technical in some points, but they're generally pretty smooth and pretty well kept. What I, I did notice at North Star, and I, and I remember it vividly because I was like, wow, this is quite rough. Like there was, there was like changes in like level of um, – of, of like pavement there was uh manhole covers uh and i think it, it it came it came to the fore um in tour dairy lands in i can't remember the the crit but it was pretty close to milwaukee like cbd and there was it was a raining night and it was on concrete and there was manhole covers and i was the, i was scared out of my brains like that was kind of where it was like, oh, damn, this is quite different because it, if you hit one of these manhole covers, you'll probably have skin off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm wondering which one of the five races that you did it was because I could I could see almost any one of these ones being the one that would have would would present that. I, I believe that your fellow countryman, uh, Jen Domedy, once referred to Dairylands as real goat tracks? Yeah, I remember Schlitz Park, and I remember that one being a real goat track. Like, the, you go out of the start line, obviously up the little bit of a hill, then you kind of come across the top of the hill, then you kind of go down the little bit of a descent into the finish. I remember that being like, I was like, wow, this is um, this is very interesting. And that was, that was, um, that was day one. 
And I was, yeah, it was definitely an eye-opening experience. Look, as I said, not a not a bad eye-opening experience. It was just it was just different. Um, we in Australia there tends to be a little bit more change of movement through the peloton. Like people here, obviously, and it's and I think it's a it's a good thing here that people kind of respect each other's lines a little bit more um, in the sense that, like, if there is a line through the underneath someone you can take it um as long as you don't push other people out as soon as you dive bomb people um here they don't (laughs) they'll let you know about it and i think um in australia it's a little bit more we'll just say loose um in the sense that people will break check you people will come underneath you um but I also think that's just because the lack of experience in criterium racing in australia um in the sense that Everyone doesn't have the same opportunity, if that makes sense. Like in Melbourne, we're very lucky. Somewhere in, I don't know, uh, like, I don't know, like Northern Territory or Perth or somewhere like that, um, there's not as much opportunity. Like you can't race five days a week in in or in, um, in Sydney or you can race, but you can race there um, in Melbourne. Obviously, you liked it because you came back uh, in 20, well, in 2022, but there's a five year gap between your last races in the United States. And and now what were you doing during that time period? So during that time period, so after 2017, which is the last year, I went to Europe with Draypack, Draypack Cycling, uh, with Draypack Holistic Development Team. There was a number of different names that went through, but they basically went to Europe for the, um, three months from June, July, August, and did a number of UCI races, um, mainly predominantly in Belgium and Holland. Um, so that, that was that was what I spent my time doing in 2018 and 19. Obviously, 20 was a write-off and 21 was more or less a write-off. Write-off in a cycling sense. For me, 20 and 21 was actually really was great in the sense that um, I was able to tick off my master's degree and actually, yeah, and really set myself up for that kind of life after cycling, um, if that's if that's a way you want to put it, because that's what Michael Draypack, who is the obviously the, the primary funder of Draypack Cycling, um, that was his that was always his aspiration is that cycling is great, cycling is a great sport. We want you to put as much effort and as much energy towards as you possibly can. However you have to have something to back you up um, and 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 that's what um, we he really fostered he fostered that um, ability to be able to I suppose manage um, both cycling and a university degree or a trade or something like that and what did you get your master's in I mean you know we've got we've got to give you an opportunity to plug yourself here you know, if, if people need if people need high quality care for some particular reason, can they come to you and be like, Liam, I need I, I need to pay you money? Well, definitely. If you want to um, be able if, if you're struggling to get off the toilet for some unknown reason, I can definitely help you with equipment to uh, to help you make make that, <laughs> that transition easier. But um, but no, like it's it's um it's really like so i did my masters in occupational therapy um practice and that was at latrobe university in bendigo um and but but prior to that i also did my my undergraduate bachelor's degree um in exercise and sports science so two relative like they're two health related fields um but yes the the masters i was something that i was very proud to take off in yeah over over the the covid period uh, and it takes a lot of pressure off now in the sense that I don't have to balance <laughs> both. Yeah, I mean, some of us, you know, like Alan, my uh, the uh, senior men's correspondent on the show, he got really good at making sourdough bread during the COVID period. You just happen to get your master's degree in occupational therapy. I don't know who ends up winning in that in that contest, but. Sourdough bread is very important. And I also took up that in, in my in the COVID because that was a that was a great way to um yeah, to, to master another trade, baking was great during COVID. Too bad I can't do it now. <laughs> is there a is there a great Australian baking show? Um, master Chef would definitely be the the one to go to, uh, Master Chef Australia. But 
I really enjoy cooking. Uh, <laughs> like I enjoy doing, I find it really therapeutic to an extent. Um, however, I don't tend to watch any of those shows. Like I am like, like everyone during COVID, I was kind of the, the drive to survive person. Like I was, I was a Netflix series kind of person. However, now that everything's starting to return back to normal, I'm back more to more back to sports and live and live sport like that's my life like i love sport i like, i don't think i've missed a game of the, the celtics since we've been in this time zone so, or in a similar time zone so it's um as i said living the dream <laughs> clearly living the dream but like you you uh you nailed your own segue you know if you are a person who likes to cook you are clearly on an incredible team for cooking being a part of ButcherBox, which is sponsored by, you know, ButcherBox, the company, which is a delivery meat service that sends high quality uh, meats throughout the entire country. I don't know if they go international or not. I should have probably looked that up before I brought that up right there. But, you know, how did you find your way from Dropak to occupational therapy school to butcher box here in the United States. There's got to be there's got to be a link that we've missed somewhere in this conversation that gets you back to Boston racing for the Red and Navy. Yeah, so realistically what happened was uh, after 2019 Drapak uh, announced it was more or less ending, not and not particularly because they didn't have the funds to go ahead. There was a couple of unfortunate circumstances with um, Michael Drapak that um, that couldn't really. Um, well, it just it just made him have to take a turn in a different in a different way of life. Um, and like, I'm not going to. I'm, I won't elaborate on that simply because um, it's not up to me to do that. But yeah, basically there was um, a pull in funding, um, which meant the program was no longer going ahead. That um, allowed me to join Oliver's Real Food Racing, which is another continental team within Australia. Um, they predominantly race in Europe, obviously with COVID. Um, none of that European racing was going on. And the last race that I did that was like, I suppose, an international event um, with Oliver's was 2020. Uh, Herald Sun Tour. That was kind of the last, that was when I was beginning my occupational therapy degree. Halfway through, so tr going, kind of going back a step, halfway through 2019, I finished my um, bachelor's degree in exercise and sports science. I had been weighing up the option of either doing physiotherapy or occupational therapy. I am a very hands based person in the sense that I use my hands a lot to talk. Um, I am very hands-on in the sense that um, I like cooking. I like doing, I like doing lots and lots of different things. Um, and so working with people about function rather than, uh, I suppose, alleviating an inability to do a certain task because of your muscle function, actually making someone be functionally able to operate within their own environment on, with their day-to-day -day tasks was something that appealed to me. Um, I was prompted by a lecturer um, that he was like, oh, you should, have you had a look at this field? And I hadn't at the time. And so I searched a bit more and I was like, oh, this probably aligns a lot better with me than what looking at a person as a whole rather than simply what is the isolating the problem and trying to fixing that problem. You're looking at a person from, oh, what can they do? What can't they do? And how are we going to make them be able to do that? If that makes, if that makes sense um, for you. That allowed me to then obviously focus on that for 20, 2020 and 2021 whilst racing for Oliver's. Towards the end of 2020, we were able to get a bit of racing and going again with the National Road Series. Um, in Australia and halfway through 2021 when I actually thought um, all was lost in the, not all was lost I shouldn't say that um, when I thought that I was kind of going okay I am now going to focus on my professional career in the sense that I am an occupational therapist I'm going to go and find a job at the end of my degree and happy days like I was I had come to that conclusion Ted Hollowitz actually, I just got a, I woke up one morning, I had a random message and I was like, oh, 
Okay. And then I actually had to go back through and kind of work out where I met Ted. And I was like, oh yeah, I met him. I met him at uh, Dairylands and I also met him at um, North Star GP because I knew the name, but I just couldn't put a face to a name and I'm really bad at that as well. So, and that was kind of where the connection started with ButcherBox. So, it was really just like a cold call, cold, whatever you want to call it, message out of the blue by Ted. Um, and that's where the ButcherBox connection started. And then that made me was like, oh, okay, maybe there's something else, like some unfinished business. And what what you know, what would that unfinished business be? Because I mean it is a it is a tremendous distance physically, geographically, excuse me, and you know like emotionally from being on the podium at Athens Twilight, which is where we're going to go eventually, and doing the Princess Mahaha Shakri Sirindorn's Cup in Thailand. I mean, like, you know, I, <laughs> that just happens to be my favorite race that I think that you've done in your career. Like, you know, there is a tremendous distance between those two. Like, bring us from, eh, I think I'm going to go and do my career now to, you know what? Let's put career on hold because, I mean, that's what you're technically doing right now. Career is on hold while you pursue this crazy, insane path of crit racing here in the United States this summer. Yeah, so the I suppose the, the transition to that was really that when I say unfinished business, I felt like I always, and it, and it didn't matter what, um, wherever, wherever it did end, but I wanted to always end my cycling career and I'm not, and I'm not saying it is, but I always wanted to end it. And I always had this idea that I would end it on my own terms and ending it on my own terms, um, is not putting up a post at the end of a year and going, Oh, I'm going to retire now because I can't find a team for next year. It's always, I want to take a step back when I feel like it is the right time. And because of COVID and because, and, and like a lot, and a lot of bike riders have had the same sort of experience because of COVID, the the whole idea of not being able to race for 18 months and not having the drive to, I suppose, train with the unknown of when are we going to return to racing, I trained pretty much relatively solidly all through COVID. Like there was like there was period like I probably had more break periods than what I would normally do. Um, but I also did a lot more training than I'd normally do. Like there was many weeks where I was using it as um, a mental break from study. Um, so I know I have like a five hour block in the middle of my day where I wouldn't have any sort of university commitments and I would literally go out and train for four and a half of those hours and then come back and be kind of like still getting dressed as my class is starting. Because I, I definitely didn't lose love for the sport because I was always still training. Um, it was more so I just really want to race again. <laughs> I keep forgetting that your experience with COVID in Australia is dramatically different than our experience was here in the United States because, you know, there were there were lockdowns in Australia between the states. Like people weren't allowed to go between Victoria and New South Wales. You know, there there were there was a, a categorically different view of of responsibility, social responsibility. Did that, was that something that like hit you mentally and emotionally? I believe not, not, look, there was definitely times where it was tough and there was definitely times where you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, is it really worth it? Um, you were always on the edge of like going and meeting people, like going and seeing people like for a walk or whatever. Um, but for the most part, Melbourne had it really bad, like in the sense that they had it. Um, they were like the mo they went from the most livable city in the world to the most lockdown city in the world. Like that was, and that was literally like they could go out for two hours a day. They could go only a five k, um, so like a three mile radius from their house. Um, they could go out and shop once a day if they needed to. Like it was very um, restrictive. Ballarat, where I'm from, and this is and this is kind of where it kind of really goes pear shaped in a sense because where we were an hour down the road, we could more or less do most things. Like I was, go I could go and train for four and a half hours, 
and I could travel like 30 miles from my house and no questions would be asked. I could go to the coffee shop. I could get a takeaway coffee and go and sit in the park. And for the most part, we were very lucky that we were able to do that um, because, as I said, that was able to get my – that was able to keep me sane, essentially. But the, the, one, the one thing that was missing was, okay, I'm, I'm training, but what am I training for? And so you really had to divert your focus from training to, training to race to essentially keeping fit, keeping healthy, and using as a mental break from study. And okay, so let's get back to the United States now that we've taken that little that detour. Getting back to the United States and you know taking this opportunity when you get a call from from Ted Horowitz from ButcherBox that you you have this opportunity to come to the United States to try this again to try crit racing again. You know, was there any hesitation in your mind or were you just like, nope, I'm in? There was definitely hesitation. Um, there was a number of factors. Um, the the racer inside of me was like, go, you're going. You, you're definitely going to go. Um, this is what you want. Um, but then, the, then the, the realistic side of me was more or less, okay, that's fine. You want to do it. But what are the things that we have to actually put in perspective? Your and then and that's where it kind of became a little bit more difficult. And that's and I think at a one stage I was like I, I was really coming to a kind of coming to a point where I either had to say yes or no, and it was coming a little bit later as well, in the sense that I had to work out was it going to be um i have to work out like healthcare stuff because obviously being um a non-us citizen um the healthcare system is vastly different in the us compared to what it is in australia um i had to work out um whether if i do leave for 6 months um even if i didn't have a job prior to it and i and i come back say like the following year and like want to look for a job is that ability is that vacancy in time where essentially you've got no explanation for it, and when I say no explanation, like you're, you've ever most people will go get a degree and then go and work straight away. Like that's what it's kind of like in Australia for us. Um, but will that gap in time where there's nothing actually eventuating, will that affect the outcome of or prospects for you in the future? That was another thing. Um, there's another thing where it, was it going to be financially viable um what like there was there was so many bits and pieces um to go to go around i just and i said i I just said i just bit the bullet in the end and and more or less said it's going to be an experience regardless you'll like by the time you're 35 you'll look back at this experience and go wow that was why was i even second guessing myself but if i don't take the experience Will there be that stone that's unturned, and that's that's what really pushed me over the edge. Um, and as I said, then as I said, the more and more I got to talk to Dino and Stephen, the more I wanted to be a part of it because, as I said, they like they were organising Zoom calls early, like late in like late last year, where I was getting to like meet the guys um, and girls, like pretty like like on just on a, on a Zoom call like. And it was just like you almost like when I came here, I felt like I knew them already. And that was and that was such a great team environment to come into. Probably nothing like I've ever experienced, um, especially trying to facilitate that team environment for, from so early on, um, even before you're racing together. Your first couple of races here in the United States, well, let's just focus on Speed Week. Because that was kind of a big thing, you know, that recently happened. You and I were going to talk about Rochester. That was our original plan. But, you know, Mother Nature had other plans for us this week. And the men's race in Rochester did not end up happening. It got canceled because of lightning. Some pretty impressive, spectacular lightning. So let's talk about let's talk about Speed Week and in you know, we got to talk in the end about Athens because that's where your name comes to the forefront, but it should not have been a shock or surprise to anybody in any way, shape or form that you found yourself in the breakaway at Athens and you ultimately found yourself on the podium. Look at your results from speed week. 
I think you did the whole thing. I don't know. Did you do Spartanburg too? Yeah, so I did Spartanburg. I did, did the whole week. Um, there was just my yeah. It was just there was just a few like I had a mechanical issue with about five laps or like seven laps to go, um, and um, that was unfortunate. But it, it probably at the end it probably saved me um, out of a crash. Out of out of being in a crash because I think where when one of our guy or one of our guys come down pretty hard, um, and I think I would have been right behind him. So um, look, as I said, hindsight's a great thing. I'm like definitely wasn't thinking that at the time. Um, obviously, you're you're quite annoyed that you can't actually do your job and do and do what you need to do and be out there with the team. But you also you look back in hindsight and go. Maybe I would have been licking my wounds and maybe Athens wouldn't have uh, panned out the way it did. So the first time that you really kind of showed yourself was, I think, at LaGrange during that week. You ended up fifth. So it's a wide angle podium. That's great. That's a good thing. And, you know, there's a, some serious similarities between LaGrange and Athens, you know, we've talked a little bit about LaGrange on this show, but never from your perspective in the men's in the men's pro race you know tell us about that race yeah it was uh i i didn't really know what to expect i heard that there was a hill in it and i know that the hillier courses suit my characteristics um a lot more than the fast flat ones um i like it to be a little bit harder and a little bit more selective in the sense that um, if it's strung out, it suits me better. Um, if if it's hard from the gun, it suits me better. Um, and kind of wearing down like the pure sprinters, um, that's also, it's better for me. Um, so looking at the course, uh, I knew, like I literally did one lap of it and I said to Sam uh, Rosenholt, I was like saying that, I was like, this is going to be good. Like this, like I feel all right. I know that this course is pretty – it's going to be pretty aggressive. It's going to be a slow burn, um, and it basically panned out exactly the way that it was. Um, I really just wanted to make it super hard for for as long as we possibly could. Uh, looking back at it now, I probably burnt a few more tickets than I probably should have, but it gave me a really good indication that the form was where I needed it to be. Um, and then was able to, I suppose, sit in for, well, not, not sit in, but kind of put the legs on ice a little bit at Soul City, even though it was definitely not that. Oh, I was going to say Soul City does not sound like it would be your course at all. I mean, it is the definition of pancake flat, four corner wide open. Yeah, it was definitely, um, like, look, I don't mind getting my shoulders out and and th- and throwing my weight around a little bit, but it it was definitely a complete contrast to what it was the night before, in the sense that it was strung out. If you rode good position, you could hold position. This was just like a washing machine. Like it was just everyone was kind of going around. Everyone was coming underneath you. Lagrange was a relatively good like good surface. Soul City had a few issues with it uh, in the sense that there was a few rough sections. Um, so it was just, it was just, yeah, complete contrast. And as I said, like I just tried to do as best as we possibly could for Sam. But same thing, like it's that number one rule: if you're at the front, you got less chance of crashing. That was more or less it. Like everything was happening behind me, I could hear it. But I was just like, keep you cool, keep you cool. Don't get sidetracked because that's where I suppose things do come unstuck. So, you know, you get to there, you get to Athens on Saturday, you know, you've had two days off from Walterboro to Saturday. So you've got plenty of time to sort of get your legs back under you, you know, recover, get ready for what is about to happen. Walking into Athens, did you appreciate how big of an event Athens is in the, in the, you know, panopy of the American criterium scene? Like like the game last night at the Celtics, it was everything it kind of lived up to be. Um, for the whole week, everyone was like, oh, Spartanburg, Athens, these are the two ones that you want to do well at. These are the two like premier events of the week, um, especially Athens. Um, and I got there and look, I, I knew that that day, I, ha- I didn't hadn't ridden the course prior to it being set up. Um, and so I didn't really know what I was in for. Got there more or less walked a lap of the course 
And I was pretty confident that 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 if the right the the legs were good and the and that the and I was that I was near the front, which is another way that I like to race. I like to like race from the front. That I would be able to, I suppose, put myself in the best position possible. Um, we were lucky that we had a pretty strong team in the sense that we had Spencer, Sam, myself, Cam Beard, um, Oliver, Flout. Um, yeah, we had we had a really we had a good complement of guys, and yeah, it was pretty much we just knew what we had to do. Um, and Spencer was really good because he had been in the break the year before, uh, and so he was kind of talking me through it a little bit. Um, but yeah, everything it lived up to be like when you, when you hear it, when you're riding, when you're going full gas and you are on your, on the limit and you're hearing people yelling, chug, chug, chug on the side of the road, you know, you're in a pretty good environment. <laughs> Georgia, the university of Georgia is a, is an institution that, that I, I'm glad that you got the full experience of being in Athens, Georgia. When did, so like the move at Athens kind of evolved in a few different phases so there were the the initial cadre of folks who started the move then there was this group that kind of got there right as things started to form and then there was the last group i know you weren't in the last group because that's you know brandon fury from project echelon texas roadhouse and a guy from hub flicker you know were the three that came across to that so when in the in the span of this breakaway forming did you find yourself in it yeah, so I was in the second group that went across. Um, so Spencer, like, so we always had the, and it's a generally relatively well-known rule is like you go, you want you want one in four, two in eight, three in 12, so on. Um, that's the, the, the formula, I suppose, you want it for the breakaway makeup. And so as soon as, um, like, we were lucky in the sense that we had myself, Spencer, Cam, really close to the front um, and Spencer went. Spencer kind of helped really form that initial split. And then as soon as um, Ty Magna um, and Brian Gomez and there might have been one other person um, or, or it might have been, uh, been Rodrigo. Oh, I can't remember who it was, but, yeah, it was um, someone else basically went across. There was four of us that rode across together. As soon as Ty Magna jumped i knew that i had to go because well firstly he's hometown hero like that's the status he's got there and um and so he wants to put on a good show for his home crowd um which isn't which is completely understandable so i was like that's the person to follow yeah and then that that was basically the race in the sense that we kind of uh rode pretty hard for more or less probably 15 laps to actually get this break formed because the peloton held us pretty close for a fair chunk of time um but once it broke once we got out to half a lap then it was like we are on here and then and then once the half a lap come it the the full lap come really quickly and then i think we had lapped them by like over like i think it was like still 50 laps to go or something like that like it was which then added another dynamic to the race yeah tell us about that because that's the thing that boggles my mind like you had a substantial amount of time point in time that the break lap the field to get your way through it and get back to the front. But in that process, there's a lot of opportunity for chaos and mistake. Yeah. And that's, and that's what really I, I, I was actually on the radio and I said, I was like, well, I caught and the commissaires at the time hadn't pulled anyone out. Uh, and I was like, like, and I had never been in this, this, this kind of um, environment before. So I was like, what is actually going on? Like, like I, so I was I actually, I said to Dino, I said, what now? Like I didn't, I, and I was in a really kind of like new experience in the sense that I was like, cause normally in Australia, if, if the field laps, the rest of the field gets pulled out and then the, like, it's the, the group that lapped, they're the ones that fight it out for the win or the field gets, um, get like two laps to go and um then they then they do their sprint and then we and then we have the remainder of our race like that's the way that it usually operates in australia in australia it also operates on a timed basis in the sense that it's 60 minutes plus three laps it doesn't so it doesn't so it doesn't matter how slow or fast you go it's going to be finished in about 65 minutes 
Yeah, that that used to be how we used to do it too. I remember that. That's that's I've definitely when I started the my career in bike racing, it was always like it's 60 minutes plus five, 60 plus five, or whatever it happened to be. And so the idea that it's an 80 lap race in if you go, you know, 60 kilometers an hour, or if you go five kilometers an hour, you're still gonna do 80 times up that hill is is kind of different. Yeah, exactly right. And so, as I said, all these dynamics are just different. Were just different, and I think it was it made it really hard. No, no, no. I wouldn't say hard for us, but it made it different when you've got like lead out trains for guys that essentially shouldn't be in the race to be influencing the race by leading out the guy that actually lapped the field. Like it, it adds a different dynamic. Like it's not a bad dynamic. It's just a different dynamic to what I'm used to. Um, so I was, and I, so I got with Spencer and, um, and I knew that uh, I was like, if, if Spencer's in front of me, I know I'm in the right position. <laughs> uh, and so that's how we played our cards. As I said, I've been going into like two laps to go. I knew I had to be on either fear, Brandon Fury's wheel or like, Magnus or Gomez's. So which one did you choose? That's those are f- those are three really good wheels. Yeah, so it was literally Magna, then Gomez, then Fury, then myself, but I was, that made me like sixth or seventh wheel through the last corner. And so I started the sprint a fair way behind Gomez and um and Magna, which then to get as close as I probably did was a like I had a good sprint, but messed it up a little bit in this in the sense that I probably could have been closer to them if I had been in front of Brandon or or on their wheel. But hey, look, as I said, hindsight's great. And when you're operating at 180 beats a minute, you don't think about that. Are you ready for what's to come next? I mean, this weekend, this is very strange for me because I have never interviewed somebody for the show and then the very next weekend, personally race them. <laughs> you and I are racing together against each other this weekend in Plainfield in New Jersey. So, so like, I know, you know, like, I know how good you are and I know how good I am. And so it's not, it's like, I don't know how many guys it's going to take to kick my butt, but I know how many they're going to use sort of thing. (laughs) So it's not like we're directly competing against each other, but we're going to be in the same race. But like, as far as your season to come, you know, what is, what are the things that you're looking forward to doing? And and if it's beating Rob Kelly at Plainfield, you know, more power to you. Yeah. Well, that's, that's definitely on the checklist. Beating Rob Kelly is, is, is the number one priority. Um, No, like, like, look, I at the I was actually really it was really unfortunate. So after the highs of Athens, College Park, I actually crashed. Um, I come down pretty, um, pretty heavily, and basically strained my adductor. Um, and so it wasn't. It was very quite uncomfortable for a few weeks. Um, well, it's what's it now? It's oh, it's a bit over three, a bit over three weeks now since I did it, um, and. I'm no longer limping. I'm limping a little bit, but I'm no longer feeling pain when I'm walking around all the time. Um, It's just when I overuse it. Um, I did my first proper training session today um, in the sense that I've been doing kilometers or miles, um, however, just no intensity. So I did my first bit of intensity today. Good signs. Like that was nice to be able to tick that box. This weekend, um, I really just want to get my groove back into the sense of the racing, um, help Sam out because Sam's really motivated for this. So we um, we want to we want to put on a good show, hopefully, um, and come down to New Jersey and um, have a bit of fun. Um, but then going forward, the the races that obviously will follow most of the um, the ACC around, um, and I think that. The ones that I want to do well on are like Tulsa. I want to go well at uh, Dairylands, like overall. I want to be able to, yeah, obviously, Intelligentsia. Um, that's another one um, that has an American Crit Cup points to it. Um, but obviously, overall as well there. Yeah, it's really just enjoying the racing, getting the most out of the racing. And I think that hopefully uh, we've got a really strong team. So we're, we... When we have a full complement of guys, we can mix it. So we're we're really motivated as a team, and 
Um, and I'm just happy to be here racing and and racing on a regular basis, which is something that I don't think, um, well, we haven't had for a few years. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Liam, for being on the show. And we will be following along with you this year. No, it's been really great. And as, as I said, thank you for uh, the opportunity to come and, I suppose, spruik my story to an extent um, and be able to, I suppose, give you a bit of an insight into, I suppose, why I'm here and um, and hopefully, fingers crossed, the season goes ahead um, well for uh, ButcherBox and, um, and yourself. <laughs> I look forward to racing on the weekend. <laughs> joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. Special thank you this week goes out to Liam White. Of course, we did preview a little bit that we were racing this weekend together just to bring everybody up to speed. The race tour of Plainfield happened. You all heard about the results and how great of a course it was. Between Liam and I, I actually finished ahead of him, but only because his teammate won and I saw Liam going backwards after doing his job as a teammate to make sure that Sam Rosenhold got out front. On the way back, he did give me a nice shove on the very last lap to make sure that I you know, stayed nice and neat up there with the trailing end of the group as we had gone to plaid. I don't know if we're going to have a show next week. Real life, bike racing travels, Armed Forces, Tulsa, all these things are combining together. But if we do and when we do have our next show, I promise you we're going deep on Armed Forces and Tulsa Tough or Armed Forces and then Tulsa Tough the next week. Check you all again later for more stories from our Criterium Nation. <laughs>